Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As usual, I am Justin, and I am joined by... Bath! Slam! What did I write? I forget. <laughs> you wrote Slam? I'm... Slam. I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm feeling a little busy, but I'm I'm doing I'm doing all right. Also, I'm Carl Bull. Hi, Caleb. This is not adjective check-in. This is like this is name. When when your teacher asked for everybody to go say like present, did you say I'm okay? Sometimes. All right. I'm just going to declare that we were sorting out an audio issue and are now hard segueing back into the podcast at hand. Yeah, and uh, I, I replaced the Carl Bull clone from earlier, and that's why I sound a little bit different now, but everything else is going well. Great. Glad everyone's here. It's like Paper Jam Dipper from Gravity Falls, Carl Bull. We're all here, and we're all very mad. At Ellen. <laughs> yes, every single one of us, apparently. I, on On average... Uh, on average, looking back at the entire series, I'm I'm less angry at Ellen's now than I have been on average, I think. But that's just because it's been an upward slope. Is it just destiny that you two must always be opposed? The second Ellen begins rising in Caleb's esteem, he plummets in Sam's. L- I- Listen, the guy's got fundamental flaws, right? Yeah, like, and he's working on them because yeah. of Tindwills. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, well, we got stuff to talk about. Let's get to the talking about so I can read my book some more. I don't know. My evil plan is working. <laughs> Ironically, I also didn't care for Lestiboards in this chap in this in this section. <laughs> yeah, he was he was very one dimensional. Okay, we're on the same page there. That's good. <laughs> We're together. We're once again together in Lestiborns. For the first time, maybe. I need to just like keep track of all these developments. Yeah, we are uh we've finished up part two with our, our reading today, and some interesting scenes happened. There was a couple of these that uh I remember in particular when we were starting Well of Ascension, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be a good one to get to. So glad to uh Glad to see what happens there. Yeah, this was like, this was the 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 kind of softest end to a section, I want to say, but like so much stuff happened that now needs to be untangled in section three, part three. I keep saying section anyway, part three. Um, yeah, like there's. <laughs> In in four short chapters, they they tied up a whole bunch of knots that have to get untied in mm-hmm. the rest of the book. All right, I think we can go ahead and and just dive into our chapters, see what we can untangle and see get tangled. <laughs> Let's see if the epigraphs make any progress whatsoever. Uh, no, nope, <laughs> nope, they don't. <laughs> They don't for the whole section. They don't for this entire episode. <laughs> yeah, we are we're back on hashtag Alendi facts. <laughs> Dear listener, Alendi's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just, just send tweets. Send tweets. Send tweets. Send tweets. <laughs> just pound it into the metal over and over. 
All work and no play. It's a thread of like one out of 16, mm -hmm. but all I the tweets are way shorter than they have to be. He could definitely be compiling some of these. <laughs> we just need to wait till the end of the book and then just unroll the thread. But yeah, we're, we're starting off here with uh, learning that Elendi commanded kings, and even though he sought no empire, he became greater than all who had come before, which is very fancy sounding. Thank you, Juan. <laughs> Thanks, Juan. But starting into chapter 24 proper, uh, we get Vin doing a, a good think on alimentic matters. I think this is really the, the first time now that she's had a chance to... Uh, to integrate what Sazed told her when he got back with the things that, that she had been seeing before. Uh, and it is, it's bugging her. There's something weird going on. Yeah. I mean, it was only last chapter that Sazed came back and mm -hmm. talked to everybody. So some peculiar details with what uh, she can sense with her bronze is the mist spirit, which has, is becoming more present uh, but also something distinctly different that is more distant. And one of those, well, both of those in different ways are things that were in Alendi's journal. And uh, that seems like something that shouldn't be happening now. So that's going to be potentially trouble for Vin. The drums in the north, they call... <laughs> Come become the hero of ages, Vin. <laughs> she does finally put that together. We've been sort of poking at that. Uh, but mm -hmm. the dots connect in her dead of her... The dots connect in her head of... The hero of ages was hearing all of this too. Mm-hmm. I do love this implication that the, all this weird thumping sound is just like a... Vegas spotlight, but only people who might be the Hero of Ages can see it. Just be like, come on down. We we got Hero of Ages <laughs> stuff for you. It's very targeted. I also like the image here that as she is uh, keeping her watch perched up on a tower of some sort, uh, Orser is just there having a, a lie down. <laughs> yeah. And then we get Zane. Hi, Zane. 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 Everybody's favorite. Zane. Shadow the Edgehog. I was going to say, if, if we're talking about uh, character opinions that we can agree on, there's one. <laughs> we get we get Zane for less than a full page, which is the reason I'm saying, yay. <laughs> That's fair. This is basically just a, a little bit of characterization as we go to the next actual scene, which is the two of them meeting. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, this is... Zane goes into a uh, a monologue, basically, about the... about how Mistborn, in his mind, get used by those who they work with. Uh, and it's this whole big thing of of trying to convince Vin that that she's better than than Ellen in particular uh, that she doesn't need them can can be powerful on her own slash with him and it's not great mm. 
Yes, yeah. he, he's such and like just this anime edge lord of. Tell me, Vin, did you ever want more power? Mm-hmm. And I like the there. There's a bit of a, a kind of take that of, Vin just answering a question that was supposed to be, kind of rhetorical and thought provoking. Uh, where he had asked what she would do with with no limits on her powers. And her answer is, I'd protect Ellen. Because she's a good person who interacts with good people. More than that, she is, against all odds, despite being Vin, a pretty normal person. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah given that the three actors on this rooftop are Zane a Cronenberg monster inside of a dog, and Vin, I think she wins this contest outright. I mean, she does say that her method of protecting Ellen would be to kill Straff and Set. But, you know. Kill everyone. it's relative. Why not? You know? Sitting around here, like, protecting Ellen. (laughs) Meanwhile, Straff and Set are apparently making an alliance while you're just dilly-dallying and trying on suits. Ellen, get to killing. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just mad. (laughs) Sorry, you're mad at Ellen for trying on suits? I'm mad at them for for dilly-dallying. Like, they talked about how it's, like, less than a month since the invitation. It should have been, like, the next day. And and then you can go and he'll be like, oh, set? Oh, I, yeah, he's over there. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's fair. I thought you were directing your anger solely at Ellen for trying on suits. And I was like, oh, I have bad news about what Vin's going to do in a chapter. Yeah. <laughs> trying on dresses. There's no rush. That's what Straff's note said, right? No rush. Just whenever. When you get around to it. Come on by. What did his note say on timing? That dressmaker's turnaround was very fast. I was impressed by that. It's true. There's also, we brought this up last book, didn't we? The the interesting element of coins as the alimentic weapon of choice. Uh, Because Zane does actually very briefly touch on this of the, the, the interesting back and forth of literally throwing money around. And it happened to Vin. She's stopped caring about about it. So a begrudging point for him there. <laughs> does does Vin know that Zane is Straff's toy at this point? Uh, he was yes. the one who sent the message, so she yes. knows yeah. he's oh, affiliated yeah, yeah, yeah. with Straff at the very least. Right, okay. It's weird how much she's buying into this with the knowledge that, mm-hmm. you know, psychopath himself, Straff Venture. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ah, hormones. Yeah. But fortunately, this is the end of this scene. As Zane departs, the two of them remain kind of on edge. And we go on to hashtag LindyFacts. <laughs> Is it just me, or are they getting, like, shorter? 
I will say they are getting shorter. I will say this was the moment where I realized, okay, wait, maybe there's something happening here because the this particular line, I don't know if we actually heard it in Final Empire, but it just started reminding the way he's talking now reminded me of like, oh, maybe these aren't just Lendy facts. These might be, hey, here are the signs that he was meant to be the hero of ages. I think that is what we are, what we're going through. Yes. Yeah, and I don't. I think that transition was pretty subtle, because um, originally it was just ah, I remember Alendi. Here are all of my memories of Alendi, and now he's getting into kind of this more uh, prophetical-sounding um, mm-hmm. uh, epigraphs. So um, I'm I'm giving him, despite the fact that he's not really getting anywhere, not giving much new information. I'm giving him a little more leeway because it feels like there's actually some kind of purpose to what he's telling us at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you bust out the word progeny, you know there's something more fantastical going on. <laughs> I mean, even just, he fathered no children. Like, you could say he didn't have kids. Yeah. Mm. Though that technically is, like, if if you were looking for kind of conspiratorial things that could be happening, looking for possible descendants of Alendi could be a thing to look for uh, but apparently there were none going into chapter 25 this is a moment that i really like characters who get to play out this scene of someone who is just so fantastically paranoid and jumpy that someone does something totally mundane around them tindwell opens vin's bedroom door early in the morning and in like half a second vin is armed crouched on the bed ready to stab someone i this is great i love it 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 very much reminds me of last section when vin straight up almost murdered Sezed because she didn't recognize him and he was approaching the (laughs) castle at night with no lights i love that it was the bed's footboard that she's crouched on as well that makes it even more feral sounding right (laughs) but yeah this is time for a shopping trip because uh, tindwell is working on all elements of ellen's kingly presentation and that extends to vin uh, and she needs to be well dressed and well attended and all that if she's going to be going on this beating with straff so it's time to solve that problem we also get a little extra uh, detail of um, Orisur is actually the one who woke Vin up in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's now really starting to lean into the help her even if I'm, it's not demanded of me, which is yeah. nice. I, I, I really think that the, the turnaround of them slowly becoming friends started way faster than I expected. And this is turning into one of my favorite kind of one-on-one character dynamics uh in the book so far is uh them slowly learning to trust each other and help each other out even if it's not required yeah no it's it's pretty good i also like i don't know if it's specifically been pointed out yet uh but spoiler alert dog or sir is going to be around for more than just a little bit here uh and at the end of this section he shrugs uh and i know it's pointed out at one point that uh like 
he'll make human facial expressions or do things like shrugging and it looks very weird on a dog hmm. i just like that that note i also like that as the end of this section because it is a, a you know more evidence of their relationship getting stronger and she, Vin continues that by going, thank you for the warning. And he just shrugs. So it's mm -hmm. it's still slow enough going. Yeah. So here we are out on a uh, a shopping trip. And look who's coming along. It's Alrian set. Hooray. Yeah. Tindwill's like, everybody's got a purpose. Even Tindwill. Uh, oh my god. Everybody's got a purpose. <laughs> Even Elrian. Even me. <laughs> it's good self-confidence. <laughs> you might think she's just a dandy fop, but dandy fops have their place. All right. Yeah. She knows how to be dandy. <laughs> and Spook's there to carry things. Yay. <laughs> Pac-Man. This is such a wild i i never would have like last chapter if you had held up a gun and been like all right who are the next who in the next chapter which four <laughs> characters will be featured i never would have put these these four together it would be very strange of me to do what the gas or the holding a gun to his head the gun generally justin holds a gun up to my head and just doesn't say anything it's just like you know you know it's just a ritual keeping me in line how do you think we got him to do this show yeah <laughs> You can put it down now, Justin. We, we can move on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is uh, the the odd bunch of Vin, Tindwell, Alrian, and Spook, uh, and or Sir, which Alrian is not super thrilled by because he's a giant dog, but he's coming along. I also like how Alrian was, she asks does the animal have to sit on the seats with us? And Vin just says, yes. And does not <laughs> offer more explanation. Yep, that's it. I love her. And Arianne is just, just getting right into it here. <laughs> just starts digging that hole to climb on him. Yeah. Did you kill the Lord Ruler? Also, are you crazy? <laughs> uh, but these are the rumors. These are the rumors she's heard about Vin. She killed the Lord Ruler, and she's a weirdo. <laughs> Those, that's I mean, the rumor that's spreading. I can't super argue with either of those. <laughs> <laughs> They're both correct. I think, I think what's happening here is that there are a certain number of words allocated to this conversation between Alrian and Vin. But the balance is just way off where Vin is using almost none of those words and Orianne is taking all of them. She asks like nine questions here and only stops to get answers twice. <laughs> yeah, her first responses are, yes, what things, rickety? <laughs> and there's like eight paragraphs in between all of that. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a point where uh, Orianne asks a question and then Vin just gazes out the window and starts, like, daydreaming. <laughs> and then Arlene has to be like, a anyways, the question I just asked. Did, did you? <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, like, Arlene apparently didn't know or is, like, really playing dumb here that Vin grew up on the streets. Because that seems like kind of an important thing. I'm also amused by, as 
once again, the Vin or Sir relationship continues to develop by him just straight up laughing at her as Alrian <laughs> prattles on. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is a shopping trip. Yeah, they, they arrive at the dressmaker's shop and it's time to actually do some dress shopping. Before we get to the dress shopping, though, um, I believe mm-hmm. if I checked my map correctly... Um, let me actually double check to make Does sure I'm this not one embarrassing work? myself. <laughs> it works, and it actually is more interesting if you check the map because uh, Vin mentions the Market Street was busy, though not as packed as it had been the last time she visited. Um, I don't know if we visited Kenton Street in this book yet, but Kenton Street is pretty close to the Square of the Survivor, um, so there's a chance Vin is actually uh, thinking back to the fight between Kelsey and the Lord Ruler, in which, yeah, that square was pretty crowded. Um, sure was. There's a decent chance that this is just a reference to, like, she's been out on the town before in this book, and it, it might have reached Kenton Street at some point, but um, that is just, if that is what that is hinting at, um, yeah, just a, that's a interesting little detail to add on to the context. And then as we get into the, the dressmaker shop, we get some good uh, Tindwell and Vin discussion. Which I like the haven't had a lot of it yet, uh, but talking about uh, this is something that that has been missing since about part five of Final Empire is we saw Vin did end up enjoying going to going to the parties and doing that whole thing, even if it was a lie. She enjoyed some of it, and this is visually here in in the dress shop there's a, a reminder of that that's something that she's been kind of ignoring yeah it feels like she's almost been telling herself she didn't enjoy it and Tintwell is here to be like it's okay if you do it, it's it's all right um which is just very nice yeah it's literally fine to admit that you liked it there's no problem with it just yeah you know i like how Tintwell is like her questions have this way of drilling into exactly, mm-hmm. um, you know, the core of a person, basically, to make you think. And her to make you think. We, we get more and <laughs> really, really, as a thinker, we get into this a little bit more later. But the difference in approach that she takes between mm-hmm. Ellen and Vin while still managing to just like see right into each of their souls, it kind of feels like. It's impressive. Tindwell does deploy her favorite armor-piercing question here of, why haven't you married him? And we get to see it from the other side. And I like that we get to see this question from both sides. I do too. Um, I don't so much like learning about what happened, but like with the proposal, I mean, the fact that she second-guessed herself and then stopped wearing dresses that very day. Mm-hmm. Ugh not not good yeah i want i want i want to drag over this here soapbox and clamber up on it for a second and just commend brandon for writing an interesting female character whose struggle is specifically with her femininity and doing a good job because it's it's easy for a male author to write an interesting female character just write an interesting character and make her girl but I feel like it's harder to write one who specifically struggles with 
am I being too feminine? Am I not feminine enough? And having right. that be kind of the core of an identity crisis. Because that, that rings very true to me. Um, when I... Justin, you may not know this, but I have two older brothers. Wow. <laughs> I know. Uh, and I also grew up in a society that hates women. So when I was a youth, I was like, girl, things are dumb. I don't like the color pink and no one is allowed to. My mom would be like, can I braid your hair? And I'd be like, no, I'd rather die. That's feminine. Um, and then I got to middle school and I was, it's always middle school. God and damn I was it, like, middle school. Yeah, I know. It's always middle school. Always um, middle school. I'm sorry I yelled. Um, but it is, because I got to middle school and I was like, wait, girl things are good, I think. I think I'd like to do that. But then I felt like I didn't know how. I felt like I was behind at being girl. Um, and so I just felt weirdly in between, like the tomboy and girly girl world. And I recognize I'm speaking in very gender binary terms here but that's how I was thinking in middle school in 2010 um and it just it was a deep source of anxiety of feeling like I didn't belong either way and so seeing that struggle kind of reflected here in a you know the stakes are slightly higher given that she's (laughs) married to the king and also struggling kind of with like murderous intent too but it it rang very true to me, so I just wanted to applaud Brandon for that. And it is a deep scene, and one in which they do kind of cut to the heart of the matter, but it fails the Bechdel test, which is interesting. There is a significant... Yeah, it, it is in some ways a, a... I mean, this is Tyndall's focus, right? Tyndall is, is trying to make Ellen the king. And so even though this is a, a a very deep conversation on who Vin is, it is it is from the angle of who Vin is in relation to Ellen. I'm making hand gestures to place these people in space in a way to relate them to each other, and none of you can see it. <laughs> it it is it is a lot of that, because that is Tindwell's like main reason for being in Luthadel, but I love not only is the struggle that Beth talked about depicted very well here, I love the end of this uh, kind of conversation of uh, Vin saying, are you trying to turn me into a queen? And she says, no, I want to help turn you into whoever you are. And just kind of the uh, Tindwell basically being like, it, it, it doesn't matter what you think other people think you should be. You need to figure out who you want to be. And once you figure that out, it's okay to just be okay with that. And I want to help you be that person. Um, It's just a very uh, comforting way to end that conversation, I think. Yeah, and it also shows that this goes a bit beyond just improving Ellen's image because Vin says, are you trying to turn me into a queen for Ellen? And Tyndall says, no, I just want to help you be whoever you are and does not mention Ellen in her response. So you get the sense that this is uh, sort of extra credit for <laughs> his uh, helping Vin out as well. Yeah, I feel like uh, Tindwell first got here and was like, all right, my my sole goal, I don't care about any of these people, but it would be best for the, the dominance in the world if I can just make sure Ellen is a good king. And at this point, she's realizing, damn, these kids are growing on me. <laughs> I care about them as people now. 
Ah, son of a bitch. And then we actually do get a, a fairly extended scene of the the dress selection process itself. Uh, and I like that there is this this level here of this is a thing that people care about. Uh, Vin realizes that you know, there's some memories here. Uh, I like that the, the dressmaker is very intent on doing their job as best they can. I like seeing just competent people in their element, even if they're not the main focus. Especially as you get a bit more into the mistborny nuts and bolts of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the middle of the 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 dress discussion, uh, we alluded to it earlier. Uh, Vin straight up asks Tindwell because of course she does. Vin isn't going to dance around this. Uh, <laughs> why are you being so nice to me? Because Vin has seen what Tindall is like with Elland. We all have. Uh, and and Tindall says that Elland needs some tough love. And Vin has had her share of of bad experiences and needs someone to help her up. I, I do love that. And I do think Elland responds well to tough love, as we have seen from all their interactions it is funny that Tindwell is like, ah, he's a noble who grew up and the he's the pampered son of a great lord. I don't know if that's the best way to describe Ellen and Straff's relationship go- growing up. <laughs> I mean, it, it was not a great relationship, but like, the guy never starved. Yeah, I know. There are two different kinds of struggles. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like I like I've said, like I said, I agree with Tindwell on the whole. Here, it is just funny that she seems to be like, yeah, Ellen's never had to deal with anything. He had to deal with something. <laughs> we get uh, some mechanics. Tindall seems to have done this before of uh, working with uh, Mistborn trying to trying to get an outfit uh, because is suggesting ways that the, this dress should be modified so that Vin can actually do things while wearing it. Uh <laughs> This is apparently the first time that the uh, the guy running the shop actually knew who he was helping. Uh, and so now we get an entirely different sort of scene where uh, Vin's kind of famous. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little bit of attention getting here. Can I just say, this dressmaker is a real nice guy. He is. Just I like nice him. nice fella. I wrote that in my notes. A, I literally wrote, Dressmaker's a real nice fella. He's a real nice fella. The weird thing to me is that I believe in a chapter or two we'll get his name. At which point I have to ask, Brandon, why didn't you just tell us his name now? I don't know. I don't think that was like a massive reveal. And why don't we get to know his assistant's name? Even the dressmaker just calls him the lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does have a Coppermind article. And it does not say anything past these two chapters. Was he awake does during the two chapters, though? Does it say anything about the lad? <laughs> it never said he was awake. Uh, it, it does not say whether he was awake or not. Just that he sends a letter, which we'll get to. And that he was on Kenton Street. I'm a little sad that Kenton Street doesn't have an article. What? Hmm. It's on the I map and everything. One. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, it does. It's just not linked. Okay. No, we got there. <laughs> yeah this is apparently like 
the shopping district. It gets mentioned multiple times. Anyway, we were talking about the crowd gathering outside. Yeah, that important thing. Uh, this is making Vin deeply uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, one, just having any attention at all is not something that she's used to. Uh, but in particular, we see the crowd a little bit later. They're they're almost venerating her, and this makes her deeply uncomfortable. Vin vener, venerate, venerating. It's in there somewhere, uh, but I don't think I don't think we should try. Uh, mm. uh, we also have Vin being like, yeah, no wonder they're uh, like they they are venerating me. I killed their god. And Lesterborns is like, I helped too. Kelsier even nicknamed me. And that was the moment I was like, okay, man, you you were there. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's being a little obnoxious here. And the next sentence is the real kicker, but nobody cares about poor little Spook. Poor Spook. <laughs> and Vin just like breezes past that, just does not care at all. It's like, all right, we got to find a way out of here. <laughs> like, you can tell he was like, it's come on. I, I was I was really helpful, but no one cares about me. Boo, like put a hand on my shoulder, and Vin's like, no, we're leaving. <laughs> but he's not the only one who is not getting the reaction he wanted, because uh, right right after that, Orian uh, gets to dramatically reveal the dress that she has chosen, and nobody is paying attention because of this giant crowd of people outside. So in in Tindwell's mind, it would do good for Vin to make a bit of an appearance, give the people some hope. And that's difficult to do. I just, you know, uh, Tindwell doesn't know Vin very well, apparently, because Vin is not an orator. She, no. She's not good at improvising a speech. No, Or not giving at all. a prepared speech or, right. or speaking. <laughs> right. <laughs> at least we get to see her quote-unquote speech on the page. Well, this yeah, one, Brandon, nice. was capable of writing. Yeah, because <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I do like that Ariane, like, grabs Vin's arm and heads out there with her. Like, you're not quite sure if it's because she just wants attention to, but I think it's cute that she's like, all right, on we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's really doubling down on the Charlotte from Princess and the Frog energy in this chapter. And honestly, <laughs> she's kind of is. growing on me a little bit because of that. <laughs> So yeah, the the crowd is is pressing Vin for answers on what's going to happen to them and to the city, uh, and it doesn't go super well. It it ends up Vin kind of loses control of them. Sam, like you said, she's not the most talented orator, and goes back to a tool that she does have, which is allomancy, which is perhaps not the greatest idea. <laughs> yeah, steel pushes the crowd just instantly. This one mm-hmm. tits up just just instantly. You also have the one of the most powerful people in the city yelling, "I will suffer no ill words spoken of our king," which, you know, not the greatest look politically. Kind of, no, kind of, kind of feels a, no. a little little sketch for uh, uh, the king's bodyguard and girlfriend to be um, demanding that no one criticize the king. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's on brand for the final empire, but this is supposed to be better than that. 
Especially since they really don't know what Vin's whole deal is. It, it seems like no one really knows what her relationship with Ellen is. But right. she's clearly proving she's an Alamancer. She's clearly got something going on and is shouting, I will suffer no ill words spoken of our king. He doesn't make mistakes. He has never made a mistake. <laughs> oh no, he's made lots of mistakes. Let's be honest here. Oh, I know. Uh, but she tries to get out of this on a semi-decent note on saying that that Ellen and her will protect the people. And she manages to get out of the situation, uh, but immediately says that she lied to them, which Tintul tries to kind of temper that and said, you know, you're allowed to be optimistic, uh, but Vin, I don't think we've ever seen her be optimistic. Nope. Class half empty kind of person. I will say, I think we also get our second iteration of Tindwell being wrong, which is when she is waiting inside, nodding with satisfaction. I don't, I, I understand if you want to support Vin in this moment, but I don't know if I would be nodding with satisfaction at that speech. Hmm. I do like that as this scene wraps up, Tindwell gets a little frustrated with Vin uh, and and Vin's like, hey, what? I thought you were nice to me, and she's like, yeah, I know, I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. <laughs> I love well, that because it, like, she's obviously not outright manipulative or two faced, but it's a little hard to tell. Like, okay, what what exactly is your deal if you're so mean to Ellen and so nice to Vin, and to have this little moment at the end, it's like, well, either give up on the city or believe in it. I swear, the two of you, Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's it's really. I, I think I enjoy it quite a bit. It's great because it's her, it is her turning on the Ellen dial because that's the exact same thing she said of like, oh, well, if you don't think you're going to be king, just, just give up. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also really like that moment of she is, it, it almost feels like, again, she is being genuinely nice. She's not putting on a face necessarily, but being nice to Vin seems to be like, draining for her in a way and so yeah when it reaches it's a work. certain point she's like i can't i can't i can't do this now we, we let's just finish the fitting and then this scene concludes uh, rather abruptly because the city is under attack so we hard cut from there to uh ellen and the army atop the wall uh hey sam quick check do we have any description of the fortifications here or are we safe we we do <laughs> of course we do <laughs> of course we do oh it's a merlin that no, clearly is the favorite at this point oh yeah i mean they seem more practical ellen Kerr ducking down below a merlin yeah he can take cover behind them very useful yeah that's the point of a merlin <laughs> unlike so those job, damn Brandon. krennels <laughs> no the krennels are krennels are for shooting merlins are for ducking well, and, and notably, the Luthadel army doesn't do a whole lot of fighting back here, so they didn't need the Krennels. Uh, I also have a question that hopefully we'll be able to settle quicker than our Ashmount argument. But uh, bottom of 298, uh, my book says uh, in Ellen's thought bubble, why is he attacking? We had an A agreement to meet. Is that yes, the same for anyone else? That too. Yep. Oh, no edition has fixed that. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I should check the leather round or any yeah, hang on. I've got just goes rogue. Yeah, yeah. I've got the ebook here. At least I can, I can get one other edition. 
because we need to do this every time we find a potential discrepancy here. Brandon. It's not even a a discrepancy. It's just a very minor typo. It's just a very, very small typo. (laughs) The first Uh, one seems like a bigger deal. Talking about the geography of the world and you put a map at the beginning, you better follow the map. But this time it's just, yeah. Okay, let's see. This is near the end of chapter 25. Uh, I could just control F for an A agreement and see if we find it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it exists in the ebook as well. Oh my God, we've discovered. <sighs> what does it mean? We're, we're the first one. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's true. It's intentional if it's in the ebook. <laughs> <laughs> if it's in every version, it has to be intentional. Ellen is having a stroke in this scene and we don't know it. <laughs> Well, then he should stay behind this Merlin because he's clearly in no position to fight. Yeah. <laughs> Nor is the city army. My God. Yeah, they they don't put up a very good showing here. It is a, a very brief battle uh, and clubs knows what's going on pretty quick is this was this was a testing attack to see how well Luthadel would react to a, a more full-scale attack. And the answer is not well. Uh, They need more training. They need to be better prepared. And if it was a a serious attack, there's a decent chance that they would have just been overwhelmed. So that's a problem. Like a paper cup. Um, I do also have two... cans. Yeah, like a can. Like a a theoretical can. A theoretical can. Hypothetical cans. Um, yeah, I did have two notes for this little, uh, like, all, both on 299. Um, we have Ellen had never heard such a forceful command from the Gnarled General. To be fair, this is like Clubs' 12th line in like the entire series, it feels like. So I don't feel like that's a very <laughs> high bar. Um, and then uh, earlier, we have Ellen saying, perhaps there really was a spy in the inner crew. Yeah, no shit, Ellen. We know that. We know there's a spy. Why are you surprised by this? <laughs> maybe we are really all mad at ellen every single one of us in this moment yeah sure am i'm mad at I'm, much like <laughs> much like sam is mad at everyone for dilly dallying i am mad at them dilly dallying not finding the spy and vin at least has a little bit of the mental block of i i don't want to know what's going to happen when i find that someone has betrayed me like they're kind of like, I want to trust everyone here, so I'm not going to do it. I, there's like a there's a, a character reason for that. But everyone mm-hmm. else is like, yeah, we'll find them eventually, maybe. It's probably not that big a deal. It's like, no, it's, you don't, you, you, got, you got to handle that, guys. Yeah. yeah. So let's go to another chapter where we don't really handle that. Actually, I will say, speaking of all that, a note we did skip over a little bit uh, is Vin did sense uh, some tin from uh, uh, Lesterborn's this chapter. So actually, she did make some progress there mm-hmm. in this chapter. Um, Ellen's sure didn't. Yeah, Ellen kind of nope. made negative progress there. But I think Spook was one of the bigger question marks, right? Like, I wrote Spook off my list because uh, you guys like Spook, and therefore it couldn't be him. Oh. <laughs> so it's a meta reason as opposed to a book reason, but now we know. Because he was. I like, I like Ham, but I figured he he has been dead for three hundred pages now. 
there was definitely uh, a little bit of doubt around Spook because he was out of the city for a while and arrived uh, later. And also, as we pointed out, noticeably different. Uh, but yes, that was uh, that was a good spot that uh, he does seem to still be burning tin. All right, on to chapter 26. We can take a look at this epigraph now uh, in the, the more kind of prophetic bent uh, where... He, he claimed to be to not be a warrior, uh, was forced into war and, and fought apparently as well as any man. So actually, in second thought, that's more kind of hashtag Lendy facts there. Yeah, the always claimed he was no warrior really feels like he's editorializing there a little bit. Do you think Quan took a break while pounding all this? Like, do you think he took like a meal break, you know, or a quick nap? This is a lot of effort. It is. I feel like he has nothing to say, and he got to the cave and was like, I'm going to carve the most important thing in the world, and I don't have any time to do it. <laughs> and then he realized, oh, I, I lost them. They're, they're not going to find me. I, I've, I've been here for like a week, and no one showed up. I guess I have more time on my hands than I thought. And now he's just vamping for as long as he can until people show up. And then he can be like, I died writing the truth, even though he's been like writing <laughs> nothing for a week. Yeah, he rolled up and he was like, Elendi's going to kill me at any second. And when Elendi didn't show, he was like, I guess I have time for a power nap. Yeah. So what we get to starting in chapter 26, uh, it is almost time for this this meeting that is uh, has apparently been in the works for quite some time uh, and vin is doing some final prep uh orser thinks that this is a uh, a bad idea which it just might be going directly into straff's camp but we'll see how it goes gonna go great oh my god vin and orser have another lovely bonding moment here they do which is uh is appreciated these are good moments doesn't need to be commanded to give his opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, when we were introduced to him earlier, something, a, a question like, how does the dress look, is not something that he would have, uh, he would have had to have been dragged into that. There's also a, uh, a brief digression into um, chondra biology and sociology. Uh because uh, Vin is is enjoying a little bit wearing this dress again, uh, and Orser doesn't get it, and she says that's because you're a man, uh, and he says, "Really? Like, are you sure? Do you know that for a fact?" And Vin is just sure and refuses to explain. We get another uh, weird Orser dog thing, as the there's a <laughs> note here from Phil Doe, the dressmaker. Uh, which Orser just picks up and hands to her, and that would be weird. Two of his paw fingers. See, yeah, I feel like that's physically possible for a dog to do, but they just would never think to do it. And so, I, yeah, it is it is kind of weird to picture. Mm -hmm. Justin, I feel like your dog Kaladin could do it with all his extra toe beans. He does have, he has bonus toes. They're great. Extra toe beans? He has extras. We're going to briefly tangent to talk about Great Pyrenees because I love Great Pyrenees dogs so much. Uh, some dogs have dew claws. They are extra toes on the 
hind feet to help usually in climbing. Uh, and Pyrenees have two dew claws on each back foot, which is unusual for most breeds. Uh, but my boy Cal has three on one foot, so he has extra, extra, extra toes. Oh my god. That's so much more Kaladin than I thought there was in the world. <laughs> and what? there's already quite a bit. He's a peer. <laughs> he, he's I a know. But yeah, the, the note here that Orser has very strangely handed to Vin uh says that the dress has like super secret mistborn alterations which i like mm -hmm. that there's actually a system for this where the uh the, again like competent people doing their jobs the the dressmaker was like oh i need to make a dress for a mistborn let me do this and then he did gotta say it would be egg on his face if she died because the dress bunched up or something yeah That's that true. would suck um in hindsight, looking at this note now, it would be way funnier if we never got a name and it was just signed Dressmaker. That would be weird. <laughs> the Dressmaker of Canton Street. Or maybe he had the uh, the lad dictate it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> lad. It's and just then, signed yeah. lad. <laughs> yep. No, the Dressmaker was actually trying to say fairly well and the lad misheard him and was like, I, I guess that's his name. Fell do. <laughs> Uh, they just don't know each other's names <laughs> the lad and Feldu <laughs> they've been working together for years they worked yeah. with each other for a week and they didn't learn each other's names then and they were both like well it's too late to ask now yep it's yep. too late alright Vin is finishing up her preparations uh, Orser is not coming with uh, because as Vin points out it would be a little weird to bring the dog uh, and he is uh he seems slightly disappointed, but he says, of course, good luck. Uh, and Vin is slightly slightly disappointed that uh, she wanted him to want to go. But they're just going to do their thing still. Buddies. Um, yeah, it would be weird for her to bring the dog. Not that that's ever stopped her before. Yeah, that's actually true. <laughs> You're bringing this dog to the state dinner? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the carriage started moving. <laughs> and then we just get to the cringe of the next two chapters. I, yeah. Hold on. I have what I we need to keep going because I do not know what you're talking about. I don't know why you're mad. <laughs> I'm talking about Ellen getting totally outplayed here. All right, we're we're still not even there yet. We have a couple more pages to go. But I will note uh in 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 presaging presaging put the right version of that word in i don't know how it's pronounced mm -hmm. uh, i've read I it you got it right said the, it. i think you got it right the first time we're good presaging um, yes that but one. but uh the the beginning of this is uh if there's one man in this world that i can manipulate it's my father and he repeatedly fails <laughs> until he succeeds by ripping his emotions from him through the power of vin I do think the uh, if if we were to if say we had ended this uh, episode of the podcast on this chapter where it seems like Strap has the upper hand by the end of things would be a very good opportunity for the it's always sunny title card of if there's anyone to come to play it's my father Ellen fails to manipulate his father. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, we're seeing Ellen's preparation now. Uh, Ham is trying to. Uh, convince him to 
arrive in the venture carriage, which would require a carriage driver, which would be Ham, to have at least one more friendly force in the equation. Uh, but that is uh, not how this is going to go. Uh, and there's a very slight bit of progress made uh, with Ellen managing to to talk Ham into Ellen and not L as his name. <laughs> Baby steps. Mm-hmm. We also, on the flip side, have Doxon coming in and saying Ellen and then saying, please read this piece of paper. And Ellen goes, I don't need to read that piece of paper. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've now read the the conclusion to this setup. So I don't have to not point it out. Uh, but this is the second time this has happened where uh, the assembly has said, we have something very important for you. And Ellen has gone, nah, not right now. <laughs> it's a surprise tool that will help us later. <laughs> yeah, sure does help. Yeah, it's going to help a lot, I can tell. I am curious, because my interpretation is that this is not the same sheet of paper that he gets when he comes back. No, I don't think so. Okay, that I think that makes for a better story in that this was essentially the straw that broke the camel's back. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Vin and Ellen get to join up here, heading off. Uh, It is uh, a a nice moment where the two of them get to kind of share. Like Vin said when she was dress shopping that she never actually did dance with Ellen. And she's not going to do that here. But they do get to be in each other's company being fancy, which is something in its own right. Uh, as, uh, as, As Sam points out, we get some notes from Ham about vests. Uh, he likes vests because uh, he doesn't have to worry about the sleeveys. Which is literally said here, pretty much. Just with a letter or two less. Glad I asked for something with sleeveys. Also, I love Ham, but man, his sleeveys didn't do too well last chapter. <laughs> really feels like he's the one to, to have dropped the ball on the army just being fully unprepared for any kind mm. of fight at all. Yeah. That definitely should have been, uh, there's still some training to do. Uh, But yeah, they are uh, heading off to potential certain doom. uh, And Ellen attempts to to get a dramatic kiss. uh, But Vin has put a lot of effort into her makeup and is not going to have it ruined. Taffeta, darling. Taffeta, sweetheart. No, the dress is taffeta. For those who don't know, uh, there's a scene in Young Frankenstein that is pretty much this exact bit of like, oh, darling, I'm about to go off on this great adventure with you. Well, not with you in the movie, but in this case, you know, we're about to go off on this great adventure. Kiss me. No, can't. Lips. Don't touch the hair. I just styled it. Don't touch my dress. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And then in the movie, they agree to touch elbows and shake elbows <laughs> oh god uh, in a post-pandemic age that's horrifying <laughs> <laughs> we stand madeline Kahn and we stand mel brooks on this podcast i have seen young frankenstein ones of times <sighs> yeah somewhere our father is turning and looking to the east and he doesn't know why <laughs> 
My dad loves Young Frankenstein. Back in the days before there were like streaming services, I would just watch that DVD, like, on on the loop. With I, I, it was the only movie that I've watched with director's commentary. I think. Um, that probably would be a very interesting commentary. That'd be a really interesting one, not only because you get to listen to Mel Brooks, but also because um, there was like drama on that set between Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. Uh, it's a really good anecdote, but it's really tangenty, so maybe we can cut this. But can I tell the anecdote? You know we are not cutting it. <laughs> okay, so... Continue on. Uh, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder were good friends and they were like, hey, we should do a movie together. And uh, they had a lot of disagreements throughout making that movie. Uh, one of them was actually uh, uh, the most, one of the most iconic scenes in the movie of uh, uh, putting on the Ritz. Um, uh, Gene Wilder really wanted that. And Mel Brooks was like, no, it's pointless and no one's going to find it funny. Um, but uh, anyways, they had such a miserable experience working together um, that they never worked on a movie together again. Because they were such good friends and they knew it would stress the friendship uh, if they worked together again. So they just decided to be really good friends in real life and just not be on any movies together. Uh, which I think is a very, Aww. very um, sweet ending to the story of they didn't get along on set. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. There's a much more modern day anecdote in a similar vein that I've heard, uh, which is Adam and Jamie from Mythbusters. Uh, which... People have gotten twisted into this version where the two of them actually hate each other. And they don't hate each other. They are just very, very different people who do very different things and enjoy their personal time in different ways. Uh, but appreciate each other as co-workers to an extreme extent. But don't really hang out outside of, of work because they just they don't fit together that way but they do work together very well that's nice because i had i had picked up on the iteration of they don't really like each other um so i i like that that's more closer to what it is of they just don't really hang out mm -hmm. all right back to the book at hand we do need oh, to get book. our yeah. our tangent quota in so yeah we are we're traveling to the the venture camp it's weird to call it the venture camp because luthadel is also the venture city at least for the next several pages. Um, but yeah, they're, they're heading out to Straff's camp and which gives Vin and Ellen some time to actually just talk for a bit. And uh, yeah, there's, there's some, some things to discuss. Uh, there's a point where Ellen is very sure that Vin is going to be able to ensure their safety. Uh, and that doesn't quite land as well as perhaps he thought it would, uh, because Vin has been doing some thinking recently on how much she does with slash for Ellen. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. I will say, and this is again, coming up to someone who really did not care for this whole dynamic in final empire. Um, this is my favorite Vin Ellen conversation so far because it's not definitively Ellen makes Vin feel better and everything is okay. But Ellen, who A, doesn't know any of the conversations Vin has been having with Zane, uh, and B, is still a very young adult who has not had much experience with uh, the dating scene, is really trying his best to be like, 
hey, you're so powerful, it's going to be great. And Vin doesn't like that. And then he goes, oh, well, I, I also really like that you're wearing the dress. And Vin is a little bit put off by that just because of what she's been thinking about herself. Um, and then it starts to conclude towards, um, you know, you should, you can be a woman and a misborn. Um, you just told me you like me how I am. And Ellen says, uh, I do, but I'd like you however you were. Um, which I think is a wonderful uh, way to just kind of... Um, it, it's it's strengthening the thing Tindwell was trying to communicate to her, um, and I think it's a very good uh, uh, a very good kind of conclusion to that kind of uh, not a debate but just kind of a conversation about what their relationship is to each other and to the world at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I especially like. There's a little moment in here of Vin says the dress, the mannerisms. It's not me. It's a lie. He doesn't say anything. She goes, what, you're not objecting? Everyone else thinks I'm crazy. And he goes, no, it, it makes sense. Because we've we've gotten a handful of moments where she's been like, hey, something's weird with the mists. And he's like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. So to, to have this moment where she's like, I'm saying this thing everyone thinks is weird. And he stops and goes, no, I get it. This is an experience I've kind of been having as well. It's very cute. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate Ellen being in the position of, I don't know how to say the perfect thing right now, but I am going to continue talking until I get my point across that I really care about you and I want you to be happy. Which is a uh, a good place to be before we have to endure Straff Ventures hospitality. His lecherous, despicable hospitality. Yeah, fuck this guy. Like... Yeah, he's not good. He's bad, actually. He's, he's bad. very bad. Hot take. He's a psychopath. <laughs> Some yeah. might say. We get a um, a bit of a, I guess, a briefing where Ellen is is asking Vin for uh, what she knows about trying to deal with the kind of powerful man that Straff Venture is that Vin has dealt with in a different context in some of the, the crew leaders that she knew. And she goes over some of the, the things that, that she had internalized, which are mostly variants on uh, avoid provoking him, make him think that, that he has the better of you, that he doesn't need to demonstrate that fact. Uh, and it's not a great thing. And then we go from there into actually meeting Straff here. Uh, and it just goes from bad to worse. It's just bad read after bad read. Um, you know, the the instant they arrive. First of all, Straff seems like he wasn't even expecting them because he was like, oh, just whip up dinner for three people. Um, but uh, oh, instantly is like... There. <laughs> instantly is like hey you arrived great kill like i could kill you in a second mm -hmm. okay <laughs> we're, we're right where changed. i expected <laughs> we're right exactly where i expected this meeting to go and it hasn't even started he goes from there to being an awful person directly to vin in, in multiple ways he calls for oh, a cute yeah, little some, thing he has some targeted attacks here yeah <laughs> And he seems to be, yeah, like directly trying to provoke her with displays of authority over the ska. And yeah, it is not a, uh, 
it's not good. Until we get to the moment where Ellen glances over at her and sees mm -hmm. just a hint of a smirk. Because she has sort of been playing into all of this and, and letting Strav dismiss her. And for her to then just sit back and smirk about it, I'm like, ah, uh, you learned a lot <laughs> from Kelsier. Yeah, I mean, it. it's really awful that Vin has to play this game, but at least she's good at it. It's it's an uncomfortable thing, but going back to the, the girl he brings in, who they mentioned looks quite a bit like Vin, there's even the detail of, we joked about it so much in the last book, um, but she's wearing a red ball gown, which is probably, Straff probably would have heard, hey, yeah, that person Ellen's talking to, she was wearing this big fancy red dress. Um, I, I have to imagine that was also intentional of Straff probably would have heard at some point uh, the kind of things that Vin was wearing to all the balls. Yeah, that, that I think that um, this girl, Hosel, is probably the, the most fucked up part of this. Of And um, it's this is Ellen's read on it in the, in the narration is Straff saying, you know, Vin's very impressive. I've got one too, and she's better. Like, that's really fucked up. Yeah. It gets worse, but we'll get to that later. That's just like the theme of Straff Venture, isn't it? It's like, it doesn't start in a good place, and then it gets worse. Yeah. So they, they do attempt some actual politics here, uh, where Ellen is going to try to go ahead with the plan, which is to propose an alliance to Straff and, and try to to play the two of them against Set so that he can then turn around and do the same thing with Set. Uh, and Straff has has taken up the the Vin school of answering with no. He's just not gonna do it. So that plan uh it needs some some quick reworking. Turns to his meal. He's just that dismissive. Ugh. So Vin and Ellen have to do some thinking on their feet here, uh, which is really difficult given that, like, if this was Vin and Kel trying to pull something off on the fly like this, you'd think the odds would be much better because the two of them both have experience with that sort of, of deception. Um, but this is a new area for Elland, and he certainly hasn't been working with Vin in this context, uh, but they, they do manage to put, uh, put something together. And I think it's cool to see the conversation turns to the ATM stockpile, which is Straff still thinks that it's there and that he can come take it or bargain for it or do something in related in relation to it. Uh, and Vin takes a, a bit of a long shot gamble and says that they don't have it. And we get to see what the fallout of that is. <laughs> I do like the recognition of Ellen going, okay, wasn't expecting that, but I guess Vin's working off instinct and it, her instincts usually work. So I'm yeah. just going to roll with it. <laughs> good track record and then he rolls directly into like absolutely playing the arrogant noble of 
Uh, Vin doesn't know what she's talking about. We, we we definitely still have the adium, and I think he actually does a pretty good job of kind of selling the uh, uh, desperation he's trying to go for. Mm-hmm. And then we find out... I don't know why I wrote this down, because it is his literal job, but I wrote down that Zane is a narc, because Zane is the one who said that they don't have the adium. Um, so, yeah, he's a narc. Zane is a narc, and there's also the lingering issue of the spy, which... What spy? Uh, oh, I totally yeah. forgot about the spy, said Ellen. <laughs> I mean, Vin and Ellen do not know who the spy is reporting to. Uh, we have seen that Zane was collecting information that was delivered by the spy. This is true. However, it does there seem are like the two most likely options. options. Yeah. Am I supposed to think that they're like succeeding right now because i i don't i i see them giving away the farm (laughs) just it it seems like they're definitely they're trying desperately and they're on their back definitely hasn't it hasn't worked yet certainly yeah i don't think we're not exactly applauding here but the fact that they do manage to keep it going for as long as it's been going, given the fact that they did just stroll right into his camp and he greeted them with a, I can kill you whenever I want. It's a little victories. This is this is one of those instances, I don't know if anyone here has played XCOM, but this is one of those cases where you start a mission and you have your four soldiers and then three of them die in the first round of combat and you're like, okay, well, this is fucked. But then your one remaining soldier like sticks with it and is getting through a good amount of the mission. And you're like, oh, all right okay all right let's see where this goes maybe it's happening (laughs) still probably gonna die but we'll keep rolling the dice also never take 80 percent shots they will miss 50 percent of the time (laughs) that's correct i've played xcom multiple times Uh, uh, enemy unknown i'll say in xcom 2 or at least twice now um great games but i did learn that 95% 95% is not 100%. That's XCOM, baby. <laughs> that's yeah. that's true. That's a natural one. All right. We we get one more episode of hashtag Elendi facts before we close out the section. <laughs> uh, that Elendi was a force of leadership, a man that fate itself seemed to support. Good for him. And now it feels like he's he's trying to take the blame away from himself. It's like, it wasn't just me who said he was the hero. It's not my fault. Vate itself was basically <laughs> making him be like this. It wasn't me. All right. So starting with, uh, with chapter 27, we now have the one-on-one negotiations between uh, Ellen and Straff. Uh, and it, it starts off not well for Ellen. <laughs> uh, Ellen attempts to lay out the situation as he sees it which is that Straff also needs the the Luthadel forces still alive because if they fight then they will be weak to set attacking uh, and Straff says no you've got it all wrong I have a deal with set you don't you don't have any power here which Ellen thinks is a bluff but will you roll the dice on that? <laughs> well, we have confirmation. Do we have it from Ariane or Breeze or both that, yes, Set's primary motivation is the Atium? 
right? I believe we heard that from Breeze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Straff saying that independently, like he probably had never met Set before. How would he know that? So this is why it behooves you when you get an invitation to meet with with an opposing general. You take it and you do it right away before he has time to make a fucking treaty. Which with he, the like wait, other giant the army. What is timeline here? How long was it? Because I assumed it was like a week, if that, not a month. I recall seeing the phrase "less than a month." That's still a long time. To me, the that phrase "less a than a month" time. does imply probably more than Close two weeks. To a month. Yeah. I I missed that phrase, so this whole time I've been like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know. He's just, he's not, he's not playing this with the urgency that he should be. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, if this is chess, then it's speed chess. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, there's a timer. Let's go. I think this, this first half of chapter 27, this is kind of the, the Ellen and Straff relationship that we saw in Final Empire, uh, where at least for this first part, Straff is very firmly in, in the driver's seat here. So Ellen is trying to uh, to get something here. Yeah, Ellen realizes it's not going well, realizes that Straff was probably not bluffing when he said, I can kill you whenever I want. Uh, and needs to figure what the hell he's going to do uh, and then try something completely different, which is threatening Straff Venture in his camp with only him and Vin there. Before this, we get... it. it I recognize that it's incredibly fucked up. This is one of my favorite moments. But one of my favorite moments of this section is Straff begins threatening to rape Vin, and Ellen just laughs at him. Because yeah. the idea that Straff would get anywhere near Vin is no, simply not, so ludicrous. Not gonna happen. In fact, that's <laughs> kind of like the trigger for him being like, wait a minute, it's fucking Vin. Vin's right yeah. outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's now going to completely switch his tactic here uh, of of saying playing the weakling against Straff Venture is it is going to give him what he expects and what he wants to see but that's not going to help here because he's just going to take it and he's in a place where he can just take it so Ellen tries to turn this around uh, he says if you kill me you'll die too uh, and now we see uh, Vin's perspective on this uh, because she did go outside, but naturally has not gone far and is listening in. And we start to, we see uh, some of the payoff of what we saw just a little bit earlier with Vin trying to to seed a certain impression in Straff's mind. That gives Ellen something to throw back at him of, I know how you felt. It's because Vin was making you feel that way. You didn't realize it. You were being played. Uh, and this this scene is awesome, and I don't know how you do it visually because it's entirely in people's <laughs> heads. 
but it's really cool where and if we stick with the point of view it's just in silhouette in a tent right um where vin is gloves off with the emotional allomancy and is just wrenching straff venture from one emotion to the next uh concluding with uh derailman assisted brass making him feel basically nothing at all the old lady cliss one two it's back (laughs) i i both appreciate and hate that this has a name (laughs) and then zane shows up yeah it's a pretty good scene and then zane shows up (laughs) we should keep a counter for that how many times is zane gonna show up and just make a scene worse and ruin a cool scene (laughs) yeah how many times does zane show up that would be a good counter to have joke is that he makes every scene worse i i got you there <laughs> i didn't thank you for explaining <laughs> so but the interesting thing here and you know we 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 joke about how awful zane is but in a way that's just not great to read about this technique the, the way that ellen has turned this around on straff is very effective we see it actually does get the result they wanted against Straff. But it's also really going to mess with Vin's head and the things that Zane has been saying. Because Elland is using Vin here. You know, they they are a a team in this endeavor, uh, but he is somewhat more directly than other times using her power very, very directly. Yeah, there's so much dramatic irony of you get Zane beginning his edgelord monologue and then you get like a brief cut in from Ellen inadvertently directly supporting mm-hmm. every one of his points. So unhappy. Because <laughs> like, you know, later on the chapter, now that Ellen's realized, oh, hey, I'm going to dehumanize my girlfriend. Um, he says, like, we've overlooked one of our greatest resources. Mm-hmm. Calling your your girlfriend a resource. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a really unfortunate place for us as the readers because we do see this happening and we can like Ellen had a great success here in comparison to how he thought it was going to go just a little bit before. But then we see what it's what it's doing to their relationship and to the things that Vin has been thinking. Uh, to keep on the uh, the progression here, Vin spots something that she hadn't realized before with Zane, which is that she sees the the half sin scars that he also has the those long scratches that Kelsier had, and. Yeah why yeah listen he was edgy enough already why does he need to be this special too and also vin obviously thinks he's hot she's obviously into him why do we get another like kelsier why are we still doing this why couldn't we have said kelsier would have approved of his whole deal like why are we doing this, Brandon? 
Tell me your secrets. That that reminds but, me of a detail we skipped over a little bit, just real quick, uh, at the dressmaker's shop. Um, Vin asks if she can have a black dress, which in the first book I would have been like, yeah, because she likes to stay in the shadow. But now I'm like, oh, no, she's probably saying that because that's what Zane wears. And thankfully, Tindwell is like, nope, none of that. That's not happening. Also, just to clarify, like, we're, we're talking, she thinks they're pits of hats and scars. But these are like self-harm scars, right? Yes. Yes, they are. We have seen yeah. Zane cutting himself to try to distract himself from the voice that he hears. And this is mm. Vin uh, taking a wrong interpretation of that. Misattributing. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I did not realize until this very second. I thought he was literally in the pits and that it really did not quite come up ever again <laughs> well yeah because they're very the the hatson scars are very distinctive you know like i feel like I, I don't know i just it's it's that and then the fact that zane doesn't deny it where for all all of zane's faults he doesn't like outright lie all that often from what i can tell um, so the fact that Vince says out loud, oh, you were in the pits of hats then, and he's just like, uh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I, I understand you, Vin. Um, that also made me think, oh, I guess that is what that is. Anyways, we also have Zane saying, can he even understand the mists? Vin, you don't understand the mists. That's like one of the big <laughs> plot lines of this book. Does, does anybody understand the mists? <laughs> mists. What's their the deal? Mists. <laughs> What is their deal? Mists, man. How do they work? <laughs> All right. And one last bit of uncomfortable character interaction before we go. Uh, we get a Straff POV to wrap up this scene. Uh, we learn that the, uh, I, I guess it's called the, the Lady Cliss special uh, is... <laughs> the Lady Cliss 1-2, excuse you. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, apparently it is terrifying to experience. And actually, this is different because this was Duralumin and Vin didn't have access to that last book. So this is even worse than that. Yeah. And Straff is trying to kind of rationalize this. He asks Zane, you know, were, was there like a team of Mistborn out there? Uh, and and whose side is Zane on here? He, he's like, no, she's that good. You should be scared of her. <laughs> the one good thing Zane has ever said. Well, yeah, but he's only saying it because he's like, she can save me. Okay, you're right. It's true. Never yeah, mind. Never mind. Back to zero. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> recanted. Redacted. So the, the plan that Straff is putting into place is first we kill Vin, then we take the city. And apparently this has been Zane's task for some time uh, and so Straff is going to try to convince him to move that along uh, Zane requests a, a a team of Alamancers Zane asks for his own suicide squad oh my god yeah pretty much no. <laughs> we can't <sighs> oh also by the way uh, another uh, Straff venture is fucked up moment uh, apparently this is a significant reason 
why he has so many illegitimate kids is so that he has access to alamancers that he can order around. Oh, boy. But yes, he they agree that Zane is going to be provided with a team of alamancers that may not return from this endeavor. And let's close the book on weird fucked up ventures for the moment. I will I will scoot just a little bit back to note um when Straff is initially contemplating how terrifying Vin is uh, he does think to himself that Ellen's ploy might have worked if he he didn't have basically you know forewarning from the spy um he was, he was frightening thing about it was that Straff might have gone along with it, assuming Ellen to be of no consequence if the spy hadn't sent warning. So that's why, even if the initial ploy failed, I feel like Ellen did a decent job if Straff literally said, oh, if I didn't know this was the plan, it would have worked. Granted, you know, I have less excuses about why he hasn't taken care of the damn spy already, but, you know. Yes, that is my thing, is I'm not angry at Ellen's performance in this (laughs) chapter. I am angry that no one's finding the spy. So the carriage makes its way back to Luthadel. And, yeah, this this is this uncomfortable situation for us as Ellen sees this as an enormous success. Uh, I see this as an absolute win. (laughs) And does not put it in the right words for Vin's particular state of mind at the moment. Yeah, it's it's like a reversal of what we were applauding earlier where he keeps trying, but he keeps just saying the wrong thing and not in like a cute, I'm a still try and get my point across way, but in a I'm making it worse and I don't know how way. Yeah, and at first I'm like, okay, well, he didn't know about the Zane conversation. I'm going to give him some leeway that he's not entirely sure what's wrong with Vin. And then Vin goes, you did great, Ellen. And Ellen just goes, yeah, I did. Problem solved. And he just does not pick up on the (laughs) fact that uh, he did not uh, adequately address what was happening. Then we return to uh, the rest of the gang. And again, there's a, a, a celebration with everybody but Vin. Uh, I, I like Breeze's reaction of, you went into the camp of the strongest king in the final empire and you threatened him. Brilliant. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I love how excited this exchange is about a threatened murder. <laughs> you threatened him? Yeah. Yes, I did. Brilliant. I know. I, I know, yeah. Father, otherwise he would die. <laughs> I, I am sad that Vin does not get the uh, the attention she deserves on being able to process everything she's feeling. But I do love everyone else being like, yeah, it was fucking awesome in there, man. It was great. <laughs> Everyone's on, mm. on board with what happened. We're going to compare this to poker. It's what Ellen did to win this hand. He went all in and then he reached for all of Vin's chips to push them in too, to freak out the other guy into folding. And he folded. <laughs> Big success. Yeah, it, it works great. Unless you're Vin and just saw him reach over there and grab all those chips. <laughs> it's, what the hell? It's not, no, it's not even that uh, it, it, it's it's putting in all of Vin's chips. It's Ellen is trying to win the hand over Straff and puts, he goes all in and then he goes, 
by the way, Vin has a straight flush and you can't beat her. And then Strap gives up. And then Ellen's like, I win. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of this chapter, Brandon doesn't always go for the like single shocking line twist. But we get one here to wrap up the chapter, wrap up our episode and wrap up the part. Uh, We get one final note from the Assembly of Luthadel. Uh, This note is to inform you that by majority vote, the Assembly has decided to invoke the Charter's No Confidence Clause. And Alan reads the note and says, I've just been deposed. And that's the end of the part. It even ends on, we regret to have to inform you this by letter, which one, a, a, a ridiculous thing to inform by letter, but also drives home hey, we're unhappy that you've been ghosting us, so we Mm -hmm. have to send you this by letter because you're not coming to the Congress. Um, Just, It's just such a a bureaucrat way of deposing your king. I love the way the letter is written. (laughs) And it's such whiplash. Like, everyone is so hype, and we're a little less hype because we know that Finn is not pleased with the hype. But the scene is going on such a high just to come crashing down. It is brutal. Uh, And this has made, per Sam's notes, has made Sam so angry that he could do magic. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) God damn it. So many problems that could have been avoided if you had, like, done stuff. I don't know. (laughs) There are hours in a day. This is a self-inflicted loss by Alan. Like, straight up. An unforced error. This reminds me of that time when uh, I was um, in middle school. Uh, God damn it. Uh, no. I, was, I was sick in class and I missed like the first, uh, the day that a book was assigned. But, um you know, the paper was due in like a week and it was, you know, like a middle school, like a one page paper, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And the my teacher was like, Sam, where's your where's your paper? And I was like, oh, uh, I was sick the day that it was assigned. And she was like, it doesn't mean you don't have to do it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you still I guess you fail then. And I was like, what? That was how I found out that uh, you still have to do work even if even if you're busy. Even if you just happen to be ignoring it, it will continue to happen. Oh, God. So, yeah, that wraps up uh, several things all at once there. Uh, I don't know if uh, anybody turned the page to the, the very next section, uh, but I really, really like that immediately after we find out that Ellen has been overthrown we are starting part three king mm-hmm. yeah who's the king not Ellen. not right Is now Penrod our new uh, protagonist that's my prediction by the way it's penrod <laughs> that is also my theory actually it's is that not penrod just in charge? that he will he is the king it's that he is our new protagonist and that we never see Ellen's <laughs> POV again <laughs> that's right the whole crew is written off Penrod takes the throne and says you silly people you are silly I need you not and now we're gonna do some business <laughs> business so yeah that is uh, that's where we stop there 
with Oof. Uh, in terms of chapter count certainly and i think also word count uh part two is the largest of the book so we had we had quite a bit going on and we've left this part in a very different situation than where we came in so very interesting to see where we go from here i was about to segue us with where do we go from here but i guess we do casting first oh is there any is there i got one i have a vital one bye beth is there anyone to cast this time Okay, we're back. There sure is. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'm actually curious there as well. Is, yeah. oh, well, there's the there's the dressmaker. Do we have a casting for the dressmaker? Hell yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Why not? Um so I I saw it as there's like three I don't know. I mean there's a handful of people actually. There's the the one guy who comes up and rings his hat and says, you know, what will become of us? Uh, there's a dressmaker, the lad, there's Hosel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two people on my list. Okay. Uh, the first being Feldu, yep. the dressmaker. And I'm casting Jerry Parks, who was Doc from Fraggle Rock. Um, I'm pretty sure he's long dead, but that's the vision that came into my head was Doc from Fraggle Rock. Just this nice old man, you know? Kind guy. He you know. looks right for the part. I have just Googled this man. Yes, I agree. Caleb, yeah. you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Um, and then the, the other casting that I have is Hosel. Um, and for Hosel, I have, I'm not going to cast her because I'm not a fucking creep. <laughs> you know, that's fair. <laughs> so, Caleb, if you do have a casting. <laughs> no, no, Caleb, if you have casting for Hosel, it's totally valid. I understand. Like, we, you, you can't just not have a character. But I don't want to think about it. It makes me feel dirty. <laughs> no, I, we are Justin on has the... has listed your casting as no thank you. <laughs> We're we're on the same page because I had the same thing of she's technically named character, but man, I don't really want to think about casting her. So I also don't have anyone for Hosel. Okay, <laughs> I abstain. Caleb, it is in your column as nope, nah. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Uh, I do have a fell do. Um, I cast Julian Glover um, or Glover, one of those two. Uh, he's also just a, a old man. Um, he was uh, somewhat recently Maester Pycelle in Game of Thrones, where he's just a crotchety old man. Um, I just saw him in Tar this past week, and he was pretty good in that. And way back in the day, he was the bad guy in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Spoiler, mm. he's the bad guy in that. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's also a... I've only ever really seen him play villainous roles, but I feel like he could play a, a kindly old man. Um, he also had a, a role as a minor antagonist in Empire Strikes Back and I think also Return of the Jedi as General Veers. Um, he just shows up a couple times. Is he the one that gets sucked out the window? Luke gets sucked out a window. <laughs> no, there's some bad guys that get sucked out a window. When do they get sucked out a window? Let's read I don't on remember. Wikipedia. There's a guy who gets 
kicked off a balcony in Return of the Jedi, but it's not sucked out a window. I swear, I think it's in Return that they're on a Star Destroyer and a TIE fighter comes through the window and they get sucked out the window. Oh, no, okay. So, yeah. So, no, it's an A-wing that crashes into it. I don't think we see them get sucked out, but we do watch people on the bridge of a Star Destroyer as a ship crashes into the bridge and they die. But I don't know if they get sucked out the window. Okay. Maybe I, I just don't think that's that. That's on me. Boy, I wish I could get sucked out a window rather than continue talking about this. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Jesus. Well, shit, man. Why don't you tell us your theories for this episode, Sam? <laughs> No, I'm going to declare that I've cast as the lad, um, that one guy what made the super suits in She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him. That one guy what made the super suits in She-Hulk. Okay. Luke Jacobson Luke, is the character. Uh, yes. Played Griffin by Matthews is the man. Griffin McElroy. <laughs> that is what I yes. thought you were going to say two-thirds of the way through that that name. <laughs> Beloved podcaster Griffin McElroy as the lad. That would have to be the boy because they say boy a lot. I now want them to start a podcast that's we will be in the Mistborn adaptations and they just show up as incredibly <laughs> minor characters throughout. <laughs> as they did in Trolls World Tour. Of course. <laughs> The story being that they were in Portland for a live show, took a bunch of edibles, and began a podcast called The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls 2, uh, the animated Trolls movie with Justin Timberlake, and um, they were successful. <laughs> Bold. <laughs> yeah, but apparently a good choice. I forgot I also have a recasting. Okay. That's a more sensible thing for us to do than what we're doing right now. Uh, Aaron Dominguez is too good for Zane. I, I don't want him as Zane anymore. <laughs> okay. Zane is now a Muppet. This is nothing against the person I'm going to cast now. Except maybe it is, but it's not intentional. But I'm casting Ty Simpkins, who is known as the kid from Iron Man 3, who then proceeded to show up as a teenager in... Endgame, and no one knew who he was because they didn't recognize him. <laughs> okay, Aaron Dominguez, you're out. You've been saved. You're gonna. I'm. I'm saving you for somebody better. Okay. Uh, we had a uh, a short casting list and a not casting list for the first time, and probably the last time I would imagine. Never mind. We're we're putting one more cast in. <laughs> Sam has just <laughs> contributed uh, the. Muppet Treasure Island Pirate Spotted Dick. <laughs> as, 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 another Zane. Zane. as Zane. Muppet Zane. Vin Let's saw that adaptation. and was like, ooh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Let's go to a more interesting place, which is when we try to figure out what the hell is going to happen next. Because uh, we've got some things to think about now. We do. We sure do. Um, all right. I have questions, mm -hmm. which are the hypothetical, you know, rhetorical sort. Um, so, uh, is Vin going to fall out of love with Ellen? 
Is Zane going to successfully murder Vin? Does he even need to at this point? Who's the new king? Is it that rat fuck Phylon? <laughs> Where are the Inquisitors? Why is part three called King when Ellen isn't anymore? And is Penrod the new protagonist? These are all good questions. The answer is yes to all of those. I don't They're all know yes. If, I don't know if all of those were yes or no questions. <laughs> the new the new king is yes. The new king is the band yes. Ooh. Just the guys who did roundabout, they're just the they're the king now. That's right. Okay. The inquisitors are everywhere. That's why the answer to that is yes. Yeah, that's fair. Honestly, the end of this section does make for a good JoJo episode end with Roundabout playing in the background. I've been deposed. I would put a clip in, but I don't want to get DMCA'd. That's fair. We can just do it for you. Yeah, we'll just scat it. <laughs> I've actually heard multiple reports of people on Twitch streams badly singing a song that was in their head and then getting muted. Oh my god. Well, it's a good thing we're not on Twitch. Bum, brum. Uh, right. I believe Twitch has in fact muted uh, people playing music that they wrote because they recognized that it was DMCA-able oh, yeah. music. Oh my god. Yeah, the DMCA yep. sucks. Let's not get into that right now. Sam. <laughs> You've got good questions. Yeah. Do you do you have any good answers? I have a couple predictions. Okay. Um, I think that uh, Zane is not going to kill Vin because she's on the cover, uh, but Vin is going to need help to defeat him. Like I don't think okay. she can just do it by herself. Um, help in a I, physical sense or a mental sense? I would say physical. Okay. She just barely got through the like the mistings kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and that was with Zane's help. Right. So what I'm thinking is, I don't think it's going to be a member of the crew that helps her, or at least not one that's like in the town. Right. Currently. It's um, not going to be Ham or Docs or Breeze or any of them. I think it would be badass if it was Marsh. That would be if, badass. If just out of nowhere, Marsh comes in, from the mist does his four word sentences kicks ass puts zane's head on a pike marsh does like to come out of nowhere save four lines of badassery and save vin's life yeah i mean he's he's proven to be good at it and he does i do think it would be cool if it happened because it makes good scenes would be a very good scene um I think that the new king is going to probably need to be convinced to not surrender. Okay. I don't know how much sway the crew is going to be able to have because he's just going to see them as what they are, which is essentially, or literally, Ellen's cabinet. Like, of course you have a vested interest in not doing that. You're his cabinet. Right. And now he's gone, so now y'all are gone too. Yeah. God, imagine if cabinets like didn't go away that would be weird that would be ugly and um, you mentioned it as we were wrapping up the section but you are putting the chips on lord penrod as the uh the successor 
That's what I'm thinking. I think it'll probably be Penrod. People okay. on both sides of the aisle kind of listened to him when he was when uh, Elland was proposing the meeting with Straff. So he seemed to be a at least reasonable choice. Yeah, one that could get favor from both sides. So maybe Penrod. Um, or maybe it's like a snap election kind of trigger thing. I don't know. Lady Cliss coming back to take it all. <laughs> Lady Cliss. Yes. I object. From the back of the room came a, a high pitched voice. I was going to make a Lady Cliss is Lendy confirmed joke, but we already did that. She's already on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least we're consistent. That's why I'm yeah. keeping this list. <laughs> and hey, uh, while this group is dilly-dallying and uh, Alan is having his fun little meetings with his dad, uh, the Inquisitors are well on their way to wherever they're going, which is probably the well. So that's something to be worried about. Um, the Conventicle of Saran is still empty. So that's been on my mind a lot. As, as I've been reading, I've been like, well, yeah, there's a lot going on right now. It does seem like something that might need addressing, and it definitely isn't. Yeah. And as for Vin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this as I talk so I remember I said it. Um, Vin, uh, <laughs> Zane's words are going to kind of wiggle into her head. Um she's going to need to figure out who she is uh like right quick uh because otherwise uh zane is going to have an effect and like actually a tangible effect as opposed to this kind of tangential effect we've seen so far in which vin has like these quiet doubts but sticks with ellen like you got to Resist this psychic death, girl. Come on. <laughs> he's, he's a bad guy. I'm sorry, I just really enjoyed. Resist the psychic death, girl. Go, get it. Yeah. I'm borrowing the name of the uh, the feminist zine from my college, which was Resist Psychic Death. That's rad. A, it's a it's a very cool title. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. Caleb, Attack on Titan us. <laughs> I, I don't have too much Attack on Titaning, although we'll get into a little bit of it uh, towards the end. Um, uh, let me just double check my notes to make sure I'm not missing anything. I've I've been smart. I am now. I used to have some things in my theory section and some things in my here are my general thoughts section, but then I would forget to move them into certain sections. So now I just put an asterisk by everything that's theory related. Um, okay. Uh, I also agree. I think it's going to be Penrod because I feel like. It is a better story that way. The obvious choice seems like it would be Phylan because he's the one who was pushing to surrender and say that Ellen was wrong. And instead, having the guy who seemed reasonable be the one that essentially is in charge of deposing Ellen and replacing him, um, I think it's better. And it also makes it so that the story doesn't fall apart by having one of the armies just come in and take over the city immediately. Um, that being said, if that's where the story is going, that could also be interesting, but I'm assuming it's going to turn into kind of a political thriller from Ellen's perspective of trying to maintain power. Really, the only word he has now, or only power he has now, is being the son of one of the invading generals. Um, right. 
So seeing him trying to try to leverage that, maybe make some deals about prioritizing different things uh, that will also be, you know, going against his idealism, um, I think would be an interesting way to go. Um, and yeah, and I'm excited for presumably uh, that will put more of the spotlight, spotlight on Doxon, who I've been missing. Um, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, but uh, to address a, a theory that I didn't have until uh, Sam said the opposite, I think when you have a rival character like Zane, it kind of has to be a one-on-one -on -one fight. I think it would be silly if it... Not silly. I think it would be less impactful if it doesn't come down to a one-on-one -on -one fight. Um, so I, I hope that it does. My other assumption is Zane will not die at the end of the fight because he's going to be redeemed in some way and Vin, it, he'll be right that Vin saved him. Um, but I, my, my theory is that it won't end in romance. Although I stand by my earlier theory that between either Zane and Vin or Elend and Elrion, there will be one kiss um, and, uh, and then that's as far as it'll go. And then they'll bounce back and be like, wait, no, this is bad. Um, but, uh, that's what my thoughts are on that. And then sure would like to know who the spy is. Um, the, uh, I actually had this theory last time, but because of the asterisk system that I didn't have in place that I mentioned last time, I forgot to say it. Um, but, uh, I think there's, there's an additional detail in this chapter, which is that, um, Straff mentions the next leader of Luthadel will be more accommodating to me. Um, implying that he kind of already knows Ellen is about to be replaced, which means that the spy is in on that information as well, presumably. Um, which points the directions more into, uh, more towards Doxin, because Doxin is the bureaucrat who's going back and forth between Ellen and, and uh, the um, other leaders. But I still stand by. I think Doxon is going to end up being a red herring. I am shifting who I think it's going to be. My guess is okay. now that it is going to be Demo, who has continually just kind of popped up and been like, hey, I'm here to help out, um, and isn't really part of the inner crew, but I feel like hears a lot of the stuff that the inner crew gets up to. Um, so I feel like that's a that's a... He's a prime candidate for, oh, we didn't even consider him, but he still would know a ton of information that he can report. Um, He's also not an Elemancer, I, so you can't test him. Exactly. And that leads into my next, my addition to the theory, um, is that I think uh, Vin is going to head to the Well of Ascension maybe somewhat soon. We're almost halfway through the book, and that still hasn't been like strongly brought up as an option, aside from she feels the pulsing. Um, but presumably she'll eventually head out on that journey. My theory is she is going to confirm that all the Alamancers are clear. And she's almost done with that. I think it's really only clubs left that she hasn't really tested at all. Um, uh, so she's going to say, okay, if none of the people you can use Alamancy, I have to go. And then Elend, who has already been butting heads with Doxin, is going to really suspect him and strongly think that it's him. And there's no one else around who can tell Ellen, no, I think you're uh, wrong about that. Um, so that's going to lead to the characters all thinking it's Doxin. And then the big reveal is that it's not Doxin, it's actually Demo. That's my theory. Okay. Zigs and Zags. It, it feels too easy for it to be Doxin. And that's kind of the, one of the main reasons I haven't been suspecting him so far. How does this change the 
ham will or will not die calculus. <laughs> I ham dying is no longer a theory, but it is a hope, not because I want ham dead, but just because I will feel justified if he dies. <laughs> it's not a theory. It's a promise. <laughs> <laughs> I... I feel like I do feel obligated to to continue to to keep up the theories in that regard. So I'm going to say, uh, as they all think it's going to be Dachshund, Demo kills Ham, and that's when the twist occurs that we find oh out boy. it's Demo. Although that doesn't make any sense because Contra don't kill people. It's something along those lines. <laughs> I'll figure it out more next session. I'll have more for you. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we. Uh with the new part starting we should be getting uh, i think when in the past when we've had part transitions uh it's possible to get a bunch of questions raised all of a sudden but it's also possible to get some answers so we'll see which mm -hmm. way this uh shifts from here okay speaking of uh the next part we can go ahead and uh introduce that uh part three king uh, we'll be doing three episodes for it, a little bit on the shorter side for each one. Uh, but the first of those episodes will be chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31. Once again, four chapters to start that off. Uh, and then going through another four and another three chapters to get through that part. So that's what we've got uh, to look forward to. And yeah, we can sign off and go read after we do our end of the episode nonsense or sign off and go to bed. One of those two. Oh. It is we have to tell everyone where to talk to us first. Where do we follow oh, yeah. this amazing podcast? Well, I'm so glad that everyone asked. <laughs> you can find our episodes like usual at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, as well as email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, and then you can find our brilliant social media insights uh, on Instagram at alwaysanotherpod and on Twitter at alwaysanotherpod. We've got our episode announcements there. We've got some uh, looks at the the chatter that goes on during these episode recordings uh, and all sorts of other nonsense that Caleb and Beth dream up. Go look at the fucking Shadow the Hedgehog post I made. I put effort into it and it got zero likes. Go look at it. God damn it. It's very good. Please go like the Shadow the Hedgehog post. Oh, man. I, I never thought that I would be on a podcast I'd put a lot of time and heart into yelling, go like the Shadow the Hedgehog post. Where does the world take you? <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Brandon. I'll be the roundabout. Ah, damn it. You beat me to it. I was going to do the whole lead into <laughs> it. Oh, I missed half the punch. I'm sorry. That's all right. It was not going to play well with the outro music, anyways. <laughs> Which I hear right now, cutting us off as we fade oh, away. No. Oh, no. Come back. I, I guess that means the episode's supposed to end. But I'm the one editing this, so I can end it whenever I want. Good night, everybody. Son of a bitch. <laughs> bon nuit.